bring this in. Three. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rotating Reels, the film review podcast where we alternate between new releases and favorites recommended by the co-hosts. Also, your source for industry news and interviews. So, uh, you might have noticed that last bit of the blurb. If you've seen the show before, you might not be familiar with us doing industry news and interviews. Rotating Reels has taken on a new format. Uh, we have a newsletter format, which means we're only doing one, one episode a month from here on out. But, as I just said in the blurb, we've got some extra content for you. In addition to our what, I, what we've been watching segment, as well as our, uh, our regular review segment, we've got a couple new segments for you. We're planning to have a new interview every damn month for you, and also industry news provided by our friend Keegan Tran every month. So I think that is going to make the, uh, the cutback on frequency well worth it. I think that these two new segments are going to add a lot of value to the show. Hope you like it. All that said, I'm your host, Hank Showalter, and joining me today, thankfully, are both of your usual co-hosts. We got Keegan Tran calling in from Portland, Oregon. Hey, yo, I am one of Taylor's theater friends. <laughs> and we've got Taylor May calling in from Seattle, Washington. Woo! Back in the saddle. All right. So, those are your hosts. I just explained the new format, and I think from here, we're going to move into our interview. So, in just a few seconds, we're going to be talking to our friend Nick about his new friend, uh, his new film, Skagit. It's a horror movie filmed and set in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I thought it was really cool and unique, and I think you'd be interested to hear what the director has to say. So coming up next is that interview. Stick around. After that, we'll get into some news, we'll talk about what we've been watching, and we're also going to be reviewing uh, the new Hulu movie Pig starring Nicolas Cage. So stick around after the interview for all that shit. Hello, Rotating Reels here with our interview of Nick Thompson, uh, the, I believe, writer and director of the 2021 independent film Skagit. Uh, we all got a chance to see this movie kind of early, uh, and we're really excited to have Nick on the show to, to ask him about some of the inspiration behind the film, some secrets from production, and other fun stuff like that. Um, so with that in mind, I'm Hank. Uh, joining me are your two usual suspects, Keegan and Taylor. But as I've mentioned, we also have our special guest, Nick Thompson. And I want to give him a minute to introduce himself and uh, give a little blurb for the movie. There's plenty, uh, th there's a blurb online, but I figured his blurb might be more fun. So, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on um, the show. And uh, yeah, my name is Nick Thompson. Um, I was born and raised in Seattle, um, and I wrote and directed Skagit. Um, it was produced by Leah Trongen, um, another Seattle native. Um, yeah, and the, for those who don't know, it's it's an experimental horror feature, um, all set in the Skagit Valley. It's basically about four old friends from Seattle who head up to the valley for this weekend trip. And they all sort of end up slowly losing their minds and drifting into these alternate realities, all with some connection back to a mysterious force in the valley. So it's pretty, it's pretty open-ended. Um, and 
it's very much, you know, centered on the Northwest environment. Um, and, you know, I hope it leaves people with a lot of, a lot of questions and crazy images in their mind. So. Well, I can definitely say it left me with some questions. The crazy images, I think you have to see them to believe them. Um, but uh, I think I, I can speak for all of Rotating Reels when I say I enjoyed watching it. Now, I'm going to try and avoid spoiling the, the, the film with questions we ask you since it's still pretty early in its life cycle, I think, as far as being released. Um, but I wanted to ask some more general questions about where it came from. So you wrote and directed it. Uh, as, as a as kind of a writer, could you talk to us a little bit about where some of your inspirations for the movie's plot came from? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> this movie has taken for fucking ever to make, not surprisingly, as it is <laughs> with, you know, most super low budget movies. Um, and I mean, I originally had the idea uh, or started to think about it Um like six years ago in 2015, I was living in New York um, and I wasn't really sure whether I, you know, wanted to keep making movies or pursue that. I mean, it's something that I'd been wanting to do since I was a little kid because my parents are both uh, documentary filmmakers and they work together. Um, and, you know, but the movie started out very different from its final form as um, I went up to this um, friend's house in New England for the weekend um, in October. Um, and I think just being up there, I, I just kind of started to think, you know, you start to kind of just get inspired by little moments around you that feel sort of true or evocative. Um, I mean, I was just kind of, you know, writing ideas down during that weekend, you know, stoned most of the time. And <laughs> also thinking about, this, this was kind of a classic, I mean, it was almost like a cliched horror movie location, old Victorian house in New England. And I thought originally of making sort of a very conventional horror movie um, and, you know, using this million dollar location that I had free access to, but I didn't really have the motivation um, to make it at that time. And just sort of thinking about it over time without it really being a real thing, I... I kind of just decided why not make this more the the kind of movie ideally that I would want to make or that I would want to see. Um, and I mean, that that makes me think um, a little bit about something that that uh, the director, Nicholas uh, Winding Refn said. I mean, he has a lot of kind of funny quotes because he likes to provoke people, but he said that he's a, a fetishistic filmmaker in the sense <laughs> that he he puts on screen what he wants to see on screen. And, you know, that that was one thing that I sometimes thought of that I think you can get lost in trying to make something that you think is really good or smart of you make the movie that you would want to see. Um, and so it, it became set in the Northwest instead of New England and became much more experimental. And I wrote a couple sort of dream sequences and stuff in New York some of which survives to the final movie, even though at that time I really didn't know yet what the plot or characters were going to be. Um, and then I decided to move back to Port Angeles, um, back to Washington, to the small town of Port Angeles for the first time out on the Olympic Peninsula with the goal of, of writing the script while I was there. Um, so that's when I really started on it was 2017. Um, and I mean, I was taking inspirations from, you know, 
from everywhere. I was looking at old notes that I had from before I even had thought of the idea for the movie. Um, and so they weren't necessarily related. Um, obviously lots of movies, I mean, but also anything. I mean, you know, a lot of the dialogue in the movie, for instance, as you guys know from seeing it is, we're kind of used to dialogue as, as always being meant to um, be used as conversation between two characters, like two people in real life. Um, but, you know, I wanted to use it more as something that can be people sort of, you know, uttering their thoughts or saying nonsensical things. Um, and, you know, sometimes I take things from like weird, you know, YouTube comments full of typos and turn that into a line of dialogue um, <laughs> and stuff like that. But I basically, the process um, involved me trying to organize a lot of the notes while also doing more conventional things like figuring out characters' backstories and stuff and relationships. And I put these notes into categories like plot and style and location, but the plot one became extremely broad. It wasn't really just plot. And I printed out like 50 pages of notes essentially and cut them up into little strips of paper and um, started arranging them on my floor to try and find, you know, associations and what, what I definitely liked, what I wasn't sure about, what was probably going to be thrown away. And then I started putting some in order that could form an actual linear movie um, while just grouping others. And that's kind of how I really finally started to get an outline of a real film before sitting down and writing um, the screenplay. So yeah, it was definitely a kind of an instinctual process partly um, of what works and what doesn't and not wanting to throw out any ideas too soon. And in a way that continued, you know, up through the editing, I think I, I purposefully put way more crazy stuff in the first draft than I knew could work and then cut some of that out. And then you lose more of it during shooting and lose more during editing. But I knew because I started with so much that we wouldn't end up with a movie that was, you know, boring or too bare or lacking that, that, you know, experimental nature that I intended so and so what was it what was it like spending so much time and effort on that process and then taking it to other people to show them what you were thinking whether it was producers or, or the cast what, what was that process like um i mean it was it was nerve-wracking but i think that largely that was just because it was my first you know feature film and certainly by far the strangest and most personal thing I'd done. Um, you know, I think as a different kind of artist, there's a more of a direct connection between sort of, you know, you're an actor, you're putting yourself on stage or on screen, or even a musician, you might be singing personal songs, whereas a filmmaker, there's kind of that disconnect. Um, and so it, it, it was kind of a new, a new thing for me in a way, you know, for people to be reading something that they, that I knew was, you know, revealing things about me or, you know, they might not even know it. I was, but I was thinking that, um, but I basically just took it to, you know, a trusted group, tried to show it to some people who weren't filmmakers, some people who were get feedback, um, friends and family. Um, and, but, you know, then, you know, I went through a couple drafts before drafts before really 
spreading it out further than that um and and showing it to more to more people i mean there's there were there were several drafts of the script up right up until shooting um but it was really those first couple where the the huge changes sort of happened interesting so i guess from you know writing the film to kind of shopping it around you know getting people's feedback after that was when you were like seeking out talent doing casting seeking out camera people uh how did you go about finding those people did were they people you knew already were they people that you kind of showed the vision to and felt like they got it like what was the selection process like yeah i mean that was um you know, I moved back to Seattle to actually make the film. It wasn't something that I felt like I could do in Port Angeles. I thought a little bit about setting it out there. Um, but, you know, I needed the resources of um, of Seattle, um, both my own circle, but also just the the film and theater community here. Um, and, and also given the nature, the characters, their ages, and the fact that they were supposed to be from Seattle, it didn't make as much sense to cast them in Port Angeles. Um, but I mean, it was, it was definitely, there was a lot of sort of, you know, luck right up until the last minute with finding, with finding people um, in, in not, not in terms of, I mean, all the people we found we really wanted and they were great, but I mean more that those people were available on, you know, moments notice. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was really important to me that we paid everyone on our shoot. Um, so our super small budget, you know, most of it went towards paying people. Um, I think that the only way to have not done that with good results would be if I had sort of a, a filmmaking collective or something that I had cultivated over several years in Seattle where we worked on each other's projects, but I didn't have that. I had, I really did not have that many film connections in Seattle, but it kind of started with, um, you know, connecting with Leah and her coming on board as a producer. Um, and she was someone I knew from back in the day. And, um, and then we, um, you know, moved out from from there and you know you get a lot of recommendations and it's pretty small film community so a lot of people knew each other um and even i still felt like pretty much one degree away from most people in the film community mm. from working years ago but not to the extent that i knew them all personally um so you know i but i i wanted people who as much as possible who were invested in the movie you know as art not to the extent that oh you have this this is never going to be personal to someone else like it is to me mm -hmm. and people still need to get paid and such um but people basically who knew what they were getting into going up to the skagit valley and trying to shoot a feature in three weeks in the cold and the rain um and but the actors was um that that process of finding the actors was really important because i mean casting is just like the majority of directing and especially for an inexperienced director like myself, I knew that that would be really key. Um, and also just with horror films, it's something often that's particularly lacking and that I knew could set us apart. Um, and so I, I got connected with Bob and Ramsey, who was a local theater director and she knew a bunch of actors in Seattle and she helped me find people who were right for the role. And we had people come in and audition. And we also had people then 
um, call back and read with each other because that dynamic of the group in the movie is really important um, to see how people work together. Um, and I really wanted it to, you know, have that. I mean, that's kind of the other side of the movie to me from the psychological surreal horror is this sort of um, naturalistic element of these four friends from Seattle. I wanted to feel real in a kind of hyper-specific way to my own experience. Um, and, and so that was, that was really important. And they were all really talented, the four actors we got. And, um, and, you know, the, there, there's not a big film acting community in Seattle. Um, and, but there are lots of really talented people doing theater. And, um, so that was a key part was not looking specifically for people who focus on film, um, everyone in the movie, none of them had starred in a feature film before. Um, some of the actors hadn't even been in a movie at all. Um, they'd only been on the stage and I thought they all, you know, took to it really well. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I agree that they took to it real well. Cause the reason I asked my last question was cause watching these four friends on screen, a lot of the dialogue is, is very organic and, you know, there's there's you know physical interactions between them and it i almost thought they had known each other for a while you know i'd almost thought like oh did you just grab a group of people that were already kind of a click and throw them on screen and you know cheat a little that way but it's it's actually pretty impressive to hear that you know it wasn't quite so simple as you know just grabbing a group of friends so that's kind of cool yeah, yeah those some i mean a couple of them did know each other and i think that definitely helped um but yeah, I mean, that was an important part of rehearsal. And I, you know, and I tried to ask them, you know, if anything didn't feel right to them, to their character, um, you know, or obviously changing the phrasing of lines to feel more natural. But rehearsal was also an important part of that. And that's something I think um, is obviously something you always do in the theater. But a lot of filmmakers actually differ on that. Some people don't like to rehearse at all or don't put... Um, emphasis on it they don't have time and I wanted to make sure we at least got a little bit of that of that um, time to rehearse ahead of time so yeah yeah I thought that was I thought that was great and we actually had a, a different director on here a um, couple couple months ago now and he said the exact same thing that normally in the movies he's done you don't get any time to do that kind of rehearsal and in the projects he's done it uh, it's been a huge help. So yeah, I think that comes through in the movie. I thought I thought the relationships between the characters were some of the strongest parts of the movie for sure. Good, good. So moving away from just you know inspiration and characters, I want to talk about some of the visuals in the movie because I think that that visually it's it's quite striking. Um, without spoiling too much, there are scenes where you're playing with the amount of colors on screen or like the saturation of colors on screen. You're superimposing two images on top of each other. I think it looks uh, really cool. It, it achieves kind of a disorienting effect. But I wanted to ask, uh, you know, was that there, you know, just purely because like it was something you thought was cool? Was there like some specific, uh, specific kind of visual direction that you were kind of referencing back to with it? Like, where did it all come from? Because it seems hard to just come up with it out of the blue. Yeah, yeah I, God, I mean, yeah, it, it was such a long process, especially with, with that element of it, because, you know, you start thinking of these images kind of as the first thing often. And then it's also the last thing that you're, that you're tweaking with the, the color grading, um, you know, years later. But I, 
I mean, I always, um, I always wanted to, you know, emphasize the landscape, the environment of the Skagit Valley of Western Washington in the Northwest. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do it in a way that I, I haven't seen that much in, in feature films. I mean, that extends more to other elements of the, of the movie as well in the story. But I think that a lot of features made here don't really um, focus on the landscape. I mean, whether it's uh, nature or, you know, in Seattle um, or on the other hand, they do it, but in a kind of like drone video kind of way of isn't this so gorgeous and it's the best place on earth and you know and I mean I do obviously have some of that um you know mindset myself but I but I wanted to I wanted to combine I wanted it to be three-dimensional and honest of it's very beautiful but it's also you know depressing and creepy um and and you know and wanting to feel there I mean and that was kind of partly how I wrote the movie in a way was I mean I was looking at these locations and finding locations um, like before I even knew the storyline of the movie. Um, and so, and then, and then that leads to, to the visuals of it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm trying to think about how to sort of articulate that. I mean, I think that the, along with the environment, it's sort of by, by having the characters interact with their environment and that being a big part of the movie of how their surroundings affect them. The kind of third part of that is the passage of time um, and, and feeling that time. And that's something that, um, you know, I think is particular to a certain kind of movie. I was reading this book called slow cinema and it, the book, it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily focusing on um movies that are necessarily particularly slow moving. Um, some of them are, but it was more what united them was sort of where time itself becomes an element of the movie where part of the point is watching the passage of time. So it might be a sort of slow, dry art film or something people would think of as that, but it also might be more of a comedy. Um, but the point is you're watching that, that time pass. And that so that kind of led to a lot of the long takes in the movie and the long takes with the moving camera um, and really wanting to place us there in the environment. Um, and, but also sometimes that became a thing on set where, you know, you end up making these decisions. I mean, I would have, um, <laughs> I, I would have had more setups often um, and more, uh, we would have shot more. And I also would have had more handheld probably originally. Um, but we basically got this steady cam. Um, what it's like a steady cam, a, a Ronin that we got for like a strangely cheap rental from someplace across the country. I wasn't sure it was going to show up and be in one piece, but it, <laughs> but it did. And, um, you know, it was, it basically on the one hand, people might think, oh, you're being, you're being, um, pretentious or you're, um, focusing on your technology too much for your really low budget. But on the other hand, that actually helped us save time. Uh, because because of that device, it's like me and the DP, Alex, um, Alexander Lindsay, we, you know, we would often reduce the amount of setups in a scene because we were running out of time and we could figure out how can we get these all in one or two shots. Um, so that influences the look of the movie um, as well. Um, but 
you know, I mean, as far as other specific elements, I, um, yeah, I, I mean, I was obviously, there, there's a ton of inspirations here, but, um, you know, one that comes to mind as far as the visuals is this movie, The Double Life of Veronique, um, which is by the Polish director, Krzysztof Kieslowski. And I mean, some of his other movies as well, they're similar, but that movie really has this extremely strong sense of, of expressionistic, expressionistic color. Um, and, and it, and it contributes to this magical quality of the movie where there is not really a defined supernatural element, um, but rather this kind of just sense of magic or charge that sort of hangs around the actors and their actions. Um, and I mean, but of course they had to commit to that much more uh, because that movie was made in the early nineties and then they used a bunch of extremely strong camera filters that were like green and yellow and then they were stuck with that. Um, so um, yeah, but you know, with every scene there were different inspirations and in some ways I think that, you know, that's the only way to create something really original is to steal from a bunch of places and then combine it with your own personal experience. Um, and, you know, if, if we were trying to be original the whole time it, 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 and not take from other people, it would have been um, probably much more bland. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'll, I'll say, I think, you know, like trying to be original can be kind of overrated. You know, a, a lot of people have done really cool stuff. So, you know, it's, I, I love taking, taking a, a page from their playbook or something anyway. Um, so I guess moving on from that, that's kind of some of the visual direction of the movie. I wanted to return to what you said about focusing on the technology. One of the things that I noticed at several points in the movie is the, uh, the, the, the aspect or the format change, you know, sometimes we'd have a nice widescreen aspect. Sometimes we'd close down to like a, a square aspect. Did, did you do that with multiple cameras or was that in, in post? Cause it, it, it became a really cool effect. You know, I, I kind of get jarred while I was watching it. How did it happen? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, the aspect ratio is is only different when um, when we're looking at the video that's supposed to be sort of standard def, like old old mini DV like home video, um, and and so so without giving too much away about the movie, I I wanted to use some of that. I think it originally um, it originally came from some of that footage is really um, almost twenty years old. Um, and some of it then was shot anew. Um, I actually still have an old camera that I made a lot of stuff with growing up that I pulled back out and shot some stuff with, but also we would take, you know, um, full, full HD footage and try and make it look like that as well. Um, and I, I think that partly just comes from sort of the origin of the movie and some other stuff I've done of, um, you know, again, when I was when I was in New York and I was kind of unsure about whether I wanted to keep making movies, part of my kind of issue was that I felt like I needed to do it in order to know whether I wanted to or not. Um, but that is I mean, that's hard with any art, but I think particularly with movies, because you can't you know, you could sit down and write a first draft of a, of, um, 
you know, a literature in your room or a first draft of a song, but you can't really do that with a film. Um, and I mean, you can with a script, but I don't really think that a script is a movie, you know, you don't, to me, it's like, you don't really still have anything, which is kind of the tough part about screenwriting is you do all that work, but you kind of have nothing. Um, and, um, and so basically I decided to try and do that when I was in New York, I decided to try and make a movie essentially in my bedroom. And what it was, was using a bunch of my still photos, um, which also kind of through that, but also in general, kind of led me back to filmmaking because I started taking photos at a later age and, um, you know, it just didn't have any of the same pressure on it as, as movies did to me. I didn't feel like I had to make something good or I had to make the exact thing I'd always wanted to make, which of course ended up making me take way more photos than time spent making movies. And then eventually I, um, so I made this kind of experimental film in my bedroom and a lot of the atmosphere, the kind of visual look and the sonic atmosphere and the mood of that movie led to Skagit was kind of a sketch for it. And also just by using all those photos of my friends relating to the characters in Skagit, um, you know, being sort of inspired by people I grew up with. Um, so the point being that I think that and some other stuff I'd done planted that in my mind of wanting to wanting to use old things, wanting to reuse old footage that I had. I made a lot of movies as a kid. Um, and it was also kind of like 10 years ago or so, if you used, you know, mini DV footage, you would still just look like someone who was really out of date. Whereas now it was like long enough that it was cool. It was retro, you know? Um, and so it was just kind of time for that. And, and, um, and yeah, and I mean, I think it, I, I hope that, it lends itself maybe just subconsciously, but that it lends itself to some extent to the world of the movie is that, you know, that very much the look of that footage calling out to the era of when these people were kids, you know, I didn't want it to look like eighties or early nineties VHS. You know, I wanted it to have more of that early two thousands look um, of, you know, this could be home video um, from these people's lives. And so it kind of relates to where they're at now as, you know, becoming adults. Okay. So. Interesting. Very cool. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of general stuff and I just have a couple more questions for you. Uh, but these, these couple more are gonna be a little bit more specific about kind of moods or, or themes that I encountered in the movie that I'm just kind of curious where they came from. So the, the first one, um, this movie, you know, it watches to me like a horror movie. I think it, it's it, the marketing materials say it's a horror movie. So I'm going to call it a horror movie. Um, and a lot of the characters are, you know, they're smoking weed throughout. Now, then a lot of horror movies I see, you know, they kind of make that like the thing you do right before the big bad happens. And in this movie, I didn't really feel like that was the case. I felt like, you know, the smoke and weed was just kind of a part of life, which as a Seattleite, you know, I, I feel like it kind of is, but I feel like it's not often portrayed that way in a lot of movies. And I want to ask, was that kind of a, a, a conscious decision to include it in that way and to kind of go against the, the horror grain with it just being a part of life and not like a precursor to something? Uh, or, or was it like a like an, an intentional decision where you're like, the weed is is 
an important part of the plot here? Like, like where did it come from? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not not specifically with weed smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I mean, I definitely. You're right that I wanted it to not be something that was um, like important um, or charged or symbolic in some way. But I I, I did want to show how people um, people hang out whether smoking weed or, or what they're drinking or just where they are and how they're hanging out. I mean, that's kind of something that I felt was specific that I, that I don't often see in movies of sort of portraying how me and my friends hang out, um, how we spend time, where we spend time, or especially where we did um, at that age. And, um, and, you know, and, and I mean, you obviously see that in a very general sense because a lot of movies are sort of about you know, middle, upper middle class, young people in America, but it's really, but I think something happens when you get down to the details. It, it's sort of, it's not just about, oh, it's slightly more detailed or it's more perfect. It kind of can transcend where you see, um, you get this sense of truth and authenticity that comes through um, by seeing something that is very specifically reminds you of your own experience or or even, or even if it's not your own, I hope that that comes through to some extent. Um, and, and so, and, and yeah, so I wanted that to be part of the world of the characters. Um, and I mean, I, I did want to, yeah, I didn't want this to fall into sort of uh, traditional slasher tropes like scream, you know, don't have sex, don't do drugs, don't say I'll be right back and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, but that, I mean, but on the other hand, I mean, the movie's very much inspired by like a lot of kind of classic horror elements. You know, I didn't want it to all be ironic or postmodern. I think it's, it's cool to sort of lean into that very kind of pure or like gothic horror kind of, I wanted that to be in there and that sort of traditional Halloween vibe. Um, And, but yeah, I mean, without, without spoiling the movie, I mean, there's obviously there's, there's sex in it and nudity as well and i didn't want that to be a thing of like oh the the character who who survives has to be like you know virginal or um asexual as is so often the case in in horror movies um and that i i didn't want that to be an element of it you know so could you, yeah. could you expand more on the on the element of sex because there's there's a lot of, of nudity or sexual conversations in addition to actual sex in the movie. Um, what was what was kind of the impetus for for bringing that in into the script and into the characters? Yeah, I don't know. I I think that um, you know this movie you know it's about people who are supposed to be you know 23 or 24, and I mean it's like that is that is a big part of people's lives at a lot of ages um for most people um but and especially around that age and you know i mean even if people aren't having sex um then it's often seems like even a bigger part of their lives you know and (laughs) and so it's and and so i i just think it's um you know as much as i love violent movies or love movies without sex or violence i think it's ridiculous how how you know accepted it is to have violence in pretty much all sorts of genres of movies and and sex is still um is still this thing that's often kind of ignored or um weirdly erased um and 
and especially, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted it to have this sort of primal and, and carnal element to it, um, where it's not meant to be this purely kind of romantic, um, you know, like a romantic plot element, nor on the other hand, to just be like, um, you know, pornographic for the entertainment, for the visual, you know, entertainment of the audience, but rather to be more of this kind of living thing, you know, for people of, of being both and, and also, and also using, involving it in the horror elements as well of, you know, um, these people sort of losing their minds or getting twisted by this environment and that inevitably evolving, um, you know, sexual elements um, in their, in, in their minds and in their relationships with, with one another. Um, and, um, you know, and I wanted to make sure that it was, it was kind of honest and that it was involving both the men and the women, you know, a lot of horror movies, they don't really have male nudity on screen or kind of real people interacting in that way. Um, but, you know, I still, I also still think and hope that it's, a, that it is a selling point for the movie and that, uh, and that, you know, people will want to see it because of that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, I, I thought the uh, the sexual element was really well pulled off because I, I feel like it kind of hit this line that I don't see very often. I see the classic kind of horror trope where, you know, people are getting sexual and immediately get killed and a stop is put to it. And you also see kind of like the more European style where they might have like the, the sexiness and the horror you know kind of intermingling like the act becomes horrific and in this movie they were kind of like often side by side but you didn't go you know kind of like whole hog into like and the sex is itself creepy you know they, they there is creepiness and anyway i thought it was an interesting way to see it because it wasn't kind of going to either of the extremes that i often see in the genre so yeah yeah i mean in, in some ways it's like it's almost it, it's difficult to sort of speak too deeply about it because it seems just like such a glaring thing, how absent it is from, from a lot of movies that it, it seems just kind of obvious. And the way that on TV, um, like graphic violence has over the last 10 years suddenly become much more okay for cable TV, but, but sex seems to have hardly advanced. Like I remember the walking dead, I was, you know, shocked originally by how much how much violence that show got away with and i still remember it only having like one brief you know clothes on sex scene and so it's it, it's it was kind of kind of weird in that sense so um but you know it's obviously it's like one of the elements of most people's lives um that is so ripe for um interesting complex deep emotional like cinematic experiences that to me it seems obvious that you would that you would have that <laughs> you know yeah. yeah all right so that actually mostly rounds out my question my second thematic question was going to be about the sexuality because i i really enjoyed how it was pulled off before we let you go though i do want to give my friends keegan and taylor chances to you know throw any random oddball questions that i haven't seen at you um so keegan taylor do you have anything you uh you you need answered that hasn't been answered yet yeah uh yes yeah, so I'm, I'm curious like the the movie rap production in 2018 um mm -hmm. it, it kind of went out for release in, in 2021 
there's a bit of time between there to, you know, go through editing and all that stuff. We've heard with the pandemic, a lot of other movies kind of had time to sit on the editing floor and kind of find the movie more throughout that process. Um, do you feel like having the pandemic between, you know, principal, principal photography ending and then the editing process gave you that time or do you think it played in at all in any way? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, yes, you know, you don't want to say, you, you know, you don't want to twist the pandemic into something into something positive. But I, um, but I mean, it, it took me, you know, way too long to edit the movie. It was um, until we brought in, you know, our sound designer, Lorenzo Rossi, and, um, you know, colorist, composer, etc. It was just me working alone. Um, for a long time and um i knew it would take a long time but i or i thought that i knew that it would take a long time but i clearly did not realize the extent of that and um you know and then in the pandemic it was like oh wow i can't imagine how much longer this this would have taken because my other work pretty much ended um and so so yeah that was that was key but um i mean it also presented challenges too once we got to you know, the sound design and music stage, not being able to work together um, for the most part, um, recording ADR with the actors um, and things like that, that, that was, that was difficult. Um, but I, I think that, you know, later in the editing process, pandemic or not, was going faster. I think that beginning it was, was, was kind of the most difficult part um, of facing that task and knowing where to begin um, and not wanting to rush into it since it was the first feature I edited. And since I didn't have, you know, I wasn't under anyone's deadline. I went through and watched, you know, every single take before even starting to cut. And I still don't know whether that was a good idea in the end or not. Um, and on top of that, I wanted to edit it mostly in order because, because the movie is so, I hope that it has a, an emotional arc that is that is linear or that and that is um you know that flows but obviously in a literal sense it does it does not have a clear plot and the scenes are very much meant to you know transition into one another like it's sort of putting you under this spell so i felt like i had to edit it in order but that obviously made it harder in some cases um particularly with the opening car scene has shots from it shots in it literally from different years um of um just b-roll at the window of the car you know from one time i went up and then another shot of b-roll that i got a year later and then multiple shoot days from our actual production um stuff like that and and um that you know that 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 scene took months to edit in itself um so so yeah the you know the pandemic was definitely definitely a part of this um but we still we got to have our screenings this fall in reality, in reality, the actual private screenings of the movie for the cast and crew were really only delayed by a few months by the pandemic. For the most part, it was the editing process. So, yeah. Speaking of uh, screenings, viewings um, for the general public, uh, where where can this movie be seen now or in the future? Like, like where, if, if we wanted to direct someone to go watch it, where do they go watch it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, un, you know, unfortunately, it's not publicly released yet. Um, and, you know, we have been submitting it to film festivals and that has been difficult um, to get it into to film festivals, um, at least partly because of the extremely, you know, unconventional nature of it and the kind of mix of genres um, and just the obscurity that we're coming from as filmmakers. And, you know, but a lot of festivals, they either want your movie to be a premiere or they require that it's a premiere. So we've kind of had to wait um, to release it publicly uh, via a different route. Um, you know, however, if, if people want to see it, if they want to review it or if they work in the film industry um, and, you know, they, they can totally get in touch with me and we can talk about you know, um, me being able to show it to them, to, to them privately, because I do want to sort of get the word out, um, and, you know, try and help the movie get to its next stage. Um, but basically my, my kind of plan B, um, or something I would do anyway, actually, um, is hoping to get it out there locally. And at some point soon, depending on what happens with festivals, I'm start to, go into that mode of looking 2022 trying to show the movie in theaters um around western washington um and you know get people excited about it and um maybe even show it outdoors or at a drive-in and sort of an environment that you know evokes the environment of the movie itself and if that's going well you know then maybe expanding out from that um with further kind of self-distribution so um but yeah, you can, you know, it will be out there eventually um, and you can see the, see the trailer online. So, yeah. Good to know. I, I would actually really love to see it in a, uh, in like a theater or a drive-in setting. Um, I, I had to watch it on a monitor and I felt like, like a, a full on sound system and, you know, a big screen would have done it more justice just based on what I was seeing and hearing. So I'll keep my eye out. Yeah. <laughs> We do have a surround sound mix for the theaters uh, that Lorenzo did that turned out really well. Um, so it, it definitely adds to the experience. Yeah. All right. Well, any other questions, boys? Yeah. I, so you talked about you were in New York and you weren't sure you wanted to keep making films and eventually you made this feature. So what's next for you? Do you want to stay in film or do you get more features to expect from you? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I am already, you know, working on another on another script. Um, obviously, it's going to be years away from becoming a movie. Um, but I, I definitely, um, you know, am, am thinking about the next movie and planning on making something that's, you know, still going to have still going to have a lot of these experimental um elements to them but is going to be more grounded in reality than Skagit and um, even more kind of based on um, the experiences of me and my friends um, in Seattle but also other places that life took us um, kind of about the last the last 10 years of life and um, people sort of entering adulthood and I wanted to yeah, create something. It's going to be, you know, more of a comedy um, and more of an ensemble piece. And I think it could be, yeah, very, very kind of fun um, and expressionistic. Um, 
And yeah, so that's, that's what I'm, what I'm working on now. And it comes partly from that same place of Skagit of feeling like I haven't really seen this experience reflected um, in feature films and I want to put it out there. And I hope that other people who haven't seen it will, you know, realize what they've been missing as well and, and connect with it. So. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds exciting. It sounds almost, and tell me if I'm off base here, it sounds almost like kind of a, a modern coming-of-age film. Um, Definitely, to yeah. some extent. I mean, I think you see it You see it more and more in movies, or maybe you've always seen this, of sort of one character feeling like they are kind of drifting or, or in a static place or not kind of going the normal route when they're in their kind of college years and the years right after that. But I feel like I haven't really seen it um, as sort of a group of people experiencing that. And I just feel like even to this day, most most movies um, I see don't really reflect the experience of those years of most people I know. So it's not just about sort of um, the Northwest, but also a, a generational thing. I think that portrayals of college and these sort of set lines of you know, you're in high school and you're in college or you're working and then you're out of college. Um, it just feels really dated compared to um, a lot of people I know where it was much more of a kind of back and forth um, home and away and 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 feeling kind of um, adrift. Um, and but also feeling that strong connection to place that both is important to them, but also, you know, holding them back in some ways. Awesome. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll yeah, I was going to say, I'll, I'll definitely look forward to that one. Um, yeah. All right. Keegan Taylor. What else? Anything else? No? Okay. Then I think uh, we've exhausted the, the questions that we've got for you right now, Nick. Uh, I just want to say a huge thank you uh, for, for coming on the show and talking to us about Skagit. Um, I enjoyed watching it. I think the others did. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure having you. Great. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Cool. cool. All right. Well, welcome to our newly minted news section. I think you probably just heard our new sound bumper at the top of that. Thank you very much to Hank for creating that. Whatever it sounds like. We don't know what it sounds like yet. It doesn't exist, but I'm sure the final product is very, very fun. So we're going to move through some of the news that have happened in the film industry in November. Some of this pertains to us, stuff that we like, stuff that we've reviewed in the past. Some of it is absolute trash that none of us care about, but we have to cover because it's film news. Uh, all of these headlines were pulled from the site that I write for, Collider. Shameless self-plug there. I don't work for the news section. I work for features. Go read my writing over there. So, first off, the new Chucky series, which is on Sci-Fi, uh, just got renewed for a second season. It's the biggest thing that has premiered on the Sci-Fi channel in a very long time. Uh, are either of you guys watching this? It's free to watch on YouTube. I haven't. I, been. I never Duh. liked Chucky. I thought it was a. Stu I thought it was stupid. Stupid old ginger kids. I'm actually right people. there with you. As our as our as our horror guy, I'm right there with you. I don't like Chucky at all. Like <sighs> that's so disappointing. Like it's better than putting on like High School Musical. <laughs> other than that. Now a Chucky High School Musical <laughs> crossover, I'd watch that. Where he just kills all the kids whatever or where they kill him you know yeah. i could watch either 
stupid. But. All right. As the guy that likes both <laughs> franchises, we're going to move on. Uh, sad news this month uh, in, in a bad pivot. Steven Sondheim, the uh, famous musical theater director, writer, uh, tragically passed away at 91. Um, 91 is a, is a ripe old age, but he had done a lot of work in his time. He wrote the lyrics for West Side Story. He made Company. He advised Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, a uh, hugely influential figure in musical theater. Uh, and his talents will be missed. He actually uh, contributed a little bit to Lin-Manuel Miranda's new film, Tick, Tick, Boom, um, and consulted on that a little bit in uh, a role that he was actually portrayed as a younger man in. So uh, he will definitely be missed. I think uh, my my co-hosts aren't as big into musical theater as much as I am, but um, definitely given that West Side Story is getting a Steven Spielberg remake that comes out this month, uh, his work is still kind of echoing into into the modern day for sure. Sweeney Todd, uh, come on. Sweeney Todd. So sorry, how could I forget? He did write Sweeney Todd. He also wrote Into the Woods as well. Uh, also, in news of a movie that we reviewed on our Patreon, Malignant is currently in talks for a sequel right now. Uh, nothing has been cemented. There's been no financing. But purely creative talks are going on at the moment, so that could be something we see in two to three years. How do we feel about a Malignant sequel, guys? Gabriel 2. What the hell does a malignant sequel look like? Like, I, I liked Malignant. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to be angry if it gets a sequel. I just have no idea what it will be. Do you think it's going to be not related at all? It's just going to have some, like, the same things going on, but it's not, like, plot-wise not related. You're, you're talking, like, a Rob Zombie's Halloween type Yeah, that's situation. mostly what I was thinking of. <laughs> okay, okay. I was thinking more of a Gabriel's Revenge. I think it has to be a direct sequel, purely, purely in line with the first. <laughs> no breaking canon. The sequel is not contradicting the first at all. Where are they now? All right. In other news, uh, Universal, in their suite of monster movies, uh, as you guys might have remembered with The Mummy with Tom Cruise, they originally tried to do a Avengers-style kind of crossover, but now they have broken that up and handed over a lot of the directing reins to newer horror directors. A lot of the production is done in-house by Blumhouse now with The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss. We're kind of going more the auteur route with the Universal monsters. Um, the newest one that is currently in pre-production is a Renfield movie, which is a character from the Dracula book. Nick Cage. Nick Cage was announced as uh, Dracula. Nicholas Holt is going to be Renfield himself, and Aquafina was cast in an unknown role. I have no idea how a Chinese actress plays into a gothic uh, European drama, but I'm excited to see where this goes. I think it's a it's a ballsy take i don't know it's, it's an interesting cast and i'm excited to see what it looks like yeah i actually saw this uh before keegan announced it i should have seen all of them before we presented it on the show <laughs> here we are um but i saw this headline before keegan announced it now i love nick cage i love vampires y'all heard about my whole vampire month a year ago um so i you know i love nick cage in a dracula role and I love Aquafina. Everything I've seen her in, I'm like, okay, she's like one of the better parts of this. She's actually pretty funny. So I'm like, I, I don't care if they depart from the source material. I don't care what they have to do. I'm here for it, and I'm going to go watch her. Uh, there better be a scene of a hyperactive Aquafina talking at Nick Cage, <laughs> and he doesn't say shit the whole time. He just stares at her like, ugh. I feel like that's going to be most of the movie, you know, just like, like uh, we, we've seen Nick's latest roles, right? You know, his latest roles are him. 
It's a lot of grunting. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've also seen everything Aquafina's been in, where she talks a mile a That's minute. That's gonna be great. Um, well, there was the farewell. Yeah. There was the there was the nice kind of a twenty four movie in there. That's. That's that's fair. That's fair. I, I I was too reductive about Aquafina, and I do apologize. She's just great at that role. Yeah, have she's so point. good at it, you know. She is. She's yeah. like the Kevin Hart of Asian women. That's what we call her. <laughs> <in our community. laughs> you know, I feel like that's kind of a disservice to Aquafina. <laughs> All right, like, sorry. No real hate on Kevin Hart. Wait, but what he's... is this new movie TV series he's doing where he killed somebody to be a stand-up comedian with Wesley Snipes? Yeah, is this real? Awful. It's, it's on Netflix. Oh, okay. It's out. No, but did he actually kill somebody to get into stand-up comedy? You should know <laughs> no, that you're the news reporter. I know. It is a cool story. It's not true, unfortunately. It's a bad script. I feel like if he killed someone, he wouldn't be making a show about OJ it. OJ wrote a book. Well, so like, Kevin Hart's trying to do the whole... He's trying to do what Aquafina's doing, and he's trying to break out. So the two roles that he's trying to get out of comedy is that true story, that Netflix show. And then he's also doing... He teamed up with... Um, oh, my God. Who... Hank, who made Green Inferno? Oh, uh, uh, Eli Roth? Ellie Roth? Eli Roth. Yeah. Eli Roth is making the Borderlands movie, and he cast Jack Black and Kate Blanchett and Kevin Hart, and I guess they're all playing against types. So I feel like he's really trying to break out, but who knows? I don't think he's very good when he does not comedy. I also don't think he's that good at comedy anyways, so. <laughs> also, Eli Roth is, uh, is a hack. You know, like, as a horror fan, I can say that. Like, anything good Eli Roth has ever made, I'm pretty sure has been a mistake, because I've seen all of his output, and like, I'm sorry, dude, you just, you're not hitting the notes. <sighs> I hate to agree. Knock Knock is the worst use of Keanu Reeves I've ever seen in my fucking life. They're going to be drying their tears with all their money as they hear us talk about them like this. <laughs> the thing is, though, like, I want to like Eli Roth because I, like, read the pitches for his movies. And I'm like, yeah, I could be into that. And then I see the movie. And I'm like, and I'm just not. I'm not. <laughs> anyway. I did like Green Inferno. I think his heart's in the right place. Yeah. All his right. heart's definitely okay. in the right place. I appreciate that he's doing what he's doing. But let's move on. Fair enough. Moving on. I had no rhyme or reason when I wrote these things out, so we're just going all over the place. Uh, Scream 5 is coming out next year. This is going to be... I don't know if it's doing the full Halloween where it's going to be the true sequel, but Courtney Cox, the girl who plays uh, the main girl, I think Matthew Lillard, everyone's back for this big new Scream revival. Um, MPAA just issued it an R rating, so no PG-13. We're going to get nice and gory. That's always kind of reassuring with horror movies. I know there's a lot of contention around uh, kind of standardizing them and making them a little too boring and dry. So R rating, always welcome. Uh, I, I actually, as the resident horror fan, I welcome PG-13 horror movies. I say <laughs> fucking try it, you know? Like, if, if you have enough balls to go out and make a horror movie and be like, we don't even need gore. Like, I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say. Plenty of people have fucked it up. But people have gotten it right, too. What about a Just G rating? Think you could make a family-friendly horror movie? When is the last time you saw a G movie? Disney makes PG now. There is no G anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, like, G movies are, like, from the 50s, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they had boobs in them because there was one <laughs> rating. <laughs> yeah. No, I could see a PG horror movie, though. I'm sure, like, like Jack Black or someone has done, like... Something that like doesn't really scare me as an adult, but like as a kid would be spooky. He did Goosebumps, right? Yeah, yeah, he did the house, the the house with the clock in the walls. That was really fun. Yeah, yeah, you know. So you know, 
I, I, people hate on PG-13 horror movies too, too much. That said, I am glad Scream 5 got an R rating. Scream shouldn't be PG-13. But. Wait, Hank, I just did a gotcha. House with the clock in its walls was also Eli Roth. I think yeah. you might like an Eli Roth movie. There we go. I'm not saying I don't like any of his movies. <laughs> I'm just saying I he's don't think he's like... He, he, like, he's, he's just kind a of a piece hack. of shit. You know, All right. Everyone All right, has moving on, like, moving a on. lucky swing. I'm <laughs> 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 right, moving on. Is, wait, was no the more Green Eli Inferno Roth. good? Should I watch the Green Inferno? As someone that doesn't no, know what I like about? Green Inferno. I just like watch Green Cannibal Inferno. Holocaust. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's true. Just watch Hol- Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. <clears throat> okay. All right. Uh, Ridley Scott has two big movies out this year. He did The Last Duel, and then he also did House of Gucci, which we were going to review this week because I thought it was a Netflix movie, but it was not. Uh, he's also in full cranky British dad mode. He was asked, like all big directors such as Martin Scorsese are, in a direct in a uh, interview, what he thinks about Marvel. Went on a huge tirade. Also has been getting pushback from the Gucci family on his portrayal of the characters in House of Gucci. And his quote was, they should be so fucking lucky. <laughs> you know love what? That. I love it. Love that. Love it. <laughs> love Cranky I'm still going to see that movie. We should, you know, maybe it's a Patreon episode or something. I don't think any of us yeah. are going to miss House of Gucci. But Oh, not at all. Adam yeah. Driver, Lady Gaga, like an 84-year-old Ridley Scott. What else do you want? <laughs> Okay, next up. We're about halfway through. Uh, Jordan Peele's third film, Nope, wrapped principal photography. He had Get Out and Us. This new movie is Nope. Uh, He's working with a new cinematographer. We don't know any details about this movie. We only have a a teaser poster for it. Um, But, you know, we're probably about a year out with, uh, with editing. So it's very exciting. Next up, in 2022, Disney is planning to spend $33 billion on streaming content. That number is insane, given two facts. They spent $4 million to acquire Marvel Studios and $4 million to acquire uh, Star Wars. So $8 million for Marvel and Star Wars. Huge properties buying out Lucasfilms and Marvel. Billion. Four plus times that they're going to spend on just Disney Plus content alone next year. Absolute insanity. It takes a lot of money to just really squeeze all the IP you brought. Like, how can we take this and just get every last little interesting thing out of it and then destroy it? So they got to, you know, they got to build the squeezing machines. It's expensive. Yeah. You, you know, a franchise is is like a fish. You know, you, you want like all like the big fillets and Disney gets those and then they go in for everything else. Mm-hmm. They They're make like, the fish sticks. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, is hey, this a good... Oh, go ahead. Well, it just take it just takes a lot of capital to compromise your morality. That's you know. Oh, speaking of, I just landed from Orlando, where I spent three hundred dollars to do the custom Disney uh, ritual of building your own lightsaber. So, uh, you know what? I support it. I love it. Was it, it worth I'm not it? Not as uh, I uh, yeah. Kara recorded the whole thing, and I was pretty much on the verge of tears the entire time. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'll show you my lightsaber later. It's amazing. You pick your own Kyber crystal. It's. No, you've got it's me with that line man. before, Keegan. I'm not falling for that. You know, I, I hate to say it. I don't want to derail us too much. <clears throat> I don't love Disney, but they do things like this. These, like, tailored experiences where you get to, like, live through some sort of, like, a childhood fantasy that I have trouble not, like, seeing the appeal of. It's like, I really hate the entity 
you know like i'm like ah i don't dig that but then like i see what they're doing and i'm like but you did that right damn it have you guys seen the (laughs) have you guys seen their video they released from the imagineers for the star wars star cruiser hotel experience yeah i I, that do you think that doesn't look like anyone's fantasy there's no child that's like this is it i wanted to see a lady sing for six thousand dollars perfect I mean, I, in I, a couple promotions, I, I that not, might but, be me, yeah. Taylor. <laughs> I, I might pay for that pretty soon. <laughs> All right. There you have next? it. We found the kid. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> uh, as we all know, the new, uh, with kind of distribution and production rights, Spider-Man's kind of in limbo. Sony bought this back in the day with the Sam Raimi trilogy. Uh, Marvel is producing them, but a lot of the revenue from this gets distributed evenly with Sony. Uh, Tom Holland, the current Spider-Man, was contracted to do three individual films and a bunch of crossovers. As the third movie's coming out soon, it was kind of in limbo if he was going to continue playing the character. He is confirmed to get a new trilogy, so he will do at least six independent films and then a bunch of crossovers. So we will be seeing more of Tom Holland. Uh, I think he's an okay Spider-Man. He's pretty fun, but uh, I don't really love the Spider-Man movies right now. I like the comics a lot. I hope they get better. Do you guys have any opinions on this at all? I literally haven't seen Tom Holland <laughs> as Spider-Man. Like, I don't know, maybe he appeared in, in Endgame or something, but I wasn't even paying attention if he did. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you guys. I don't think he's a great Spider-Man. And I, you know, to be honest, I'm only going to see the new Spider-Man because I want to see more Doctor Strange. Oh, absolutely. I don't even... So I, I, would, I would watch five more Doctor Strange movies before I'd watch a standalone spider-man movie it's not nothing against the current spider-man just i just what else is there you know what i mean like his whole shtick is yeah. like fighting crime <laughs> in new york city helping people now he's going into space fighting thanos it's just where can he go from here you know yeah that's a question for disney that's what they're asking <laughs> <laughs> straight to the bank yeah <laughs> all right three more items here squid game season two has been confirmed which is very exciting uh this is you know probably the number one streaming series that netflix has ever had uh the first season was 10 years in development from writing to completion so who knows if a uh, accelerated timeline is going to hurt the series but hey i really like squid game i'm hopeful for season two i think you know if netflix wants to dump a bunch of money into high quality korean cinema to distribute to a western audience you know more power to them yeah yeah, I uh, I still haven't finished Squid Game. I really want to. I like everything I've seen of it so far. Uh, but I feel like uh, the the other watchers in my household are less interested in watching it, so it often gets overruled. Hank, we're we're in the exact same boat, and I just got a new TV and sound system. So maybe we could join up, and then that way we get rid of the <laughs> the uh, ex on the on the lady friend. This bump to that, yeah. All right, so we'll, yeah. we'll report back with our findings on the uh, second, the second half. A month from now, season. everyone for surely will have seen all episodes of, of Squid Game season one, so we'll all yeah. have more. But anyway, I am excited by the thought of season two. I like everything I've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. All right. Cool. Two more uh, gorillas are uh, have completed an agreement with Netflix to get a feature film. No details yet, but very exciting. Think yeah, we all I like could be excited here. about that. Yeah, I like the uh, the old Gorillas uh, like web series. So, yeah, 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 I hard to, hard hard to say what that would be, even be like. You know what I mean? It could go in so many different directions with that, right? 
Yeah, it's like, who even are the gorillas anymore? Like, they used to have, like, a core band of, like, real human beings, and or at least a core musician. Like, I'm, is he still around? I don't know. I don't even know the guy's name. I shouldn't even be talking about it. But uh, <laughs> who, who are the gorillas? That's the tagline of our show. <laughs> we we should be talking about this. And then we got... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, the code and of one more. is the gorilla. Last big piece. I think this excites all of us, guys. This is uh, pretty big news. Hayao Miyazaki is going to come out of retirement for one last film, which his producer is calling, quote, a grand fantasy like nothing you've ever seen before. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. How, we should, we should all meet up guys. to see that. That's like... That's an event of a lifetime, right there. I thought I thought we were done with Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah, you know, me too. I I really did. Well, two months, no, two months, two years from now, we'll all meet halfway in Centralia, Washington, and watch this movie. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm actually totally down. Uh, you know, the 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 man is a genre unto himself. No one else makes movies like his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen people I try, agree. and they're fine movies, but they're not. Miyazaki. Well, it's because he does so many yeah. things that are just signaturely him, right? So, like, yeah. he does his movie yep. premieres in Centralia, Washington. Nobody knows why, <laughs> but that's just <laughs> just who he is. Right outside the Nike outlet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that is that is exciting. That's my favorite piece of news. I'm so glad you saved it for last. That, uh, Absolutely. I, I kind of want to cry. I can't do it, <laughs> but I kind of want to. He's lost yeah. that ability. Yeah. All right. And that's all we have for news this month, guys. Hopefully, you know, here's the thing. We're going into Oscar season. I think increasingly news is going to become about Oscar runs. So I think this is November's a good month for it. I think we're hearing some fun stuff and, uh, you know, looking forward to what we see in the future. I'm excited about this segment. And with that, I think we're going to move into what we've been watching. Here's the new spoiler, the whatever intro, whatever Hank comes up with. Welcome to what we've been watching. I'm assuming that's very similar to what Hank came up with for the new bumper <laughs> for this section. <laughs> what we've been watching. Boop, 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 boop. All right. <laughs> so given that we have a month of things that we've been watching, this is going to be a little bit longer. Uh, gone are the days of bringing on a big Instagram personality and cutting him off at three minutes and limiting ourselves to two or three properties that we watched over the past week. No moss, we say. Uh, In this new section, we're going to, we have a document in front of us that have everything that we've watched. We have some connective tissue here, some stuff that we've all watched that we'll kind of do quick little reviews on together. And then we'll do our typical roundtable where we pass it to each person to talk about the video games, books, movies, whatever they've been watching over the past kind of month or so. So um, starting that off, one thing, the I think the only thing that we have all watched this past month is uh, Midnight Mass, the new um, Mike Flanagan show on Netflix. Gentlemen, what did we think about it? I watched this first, told you guys I had some general buzz about it from the beginning and liked it. But where are you guys at? Yeah, so I heard the buzz. You know, I'm in these like horror communities, so I'm 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 familiar with all the horror series coming out. I heard the buzz about it. Um, I knew Mike Flanagan was at the helm, and I, I've liked him for some of his movies. Uh, like he did Oculus. I, I loved Oculus. He did I think Absentia way back in the day. Loved Absentia, um, but then Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, they were flat for me. I wasn't into them. 
like I actually I liked Haunting of Hill House at the time, but on rewatch, I couldn't make it through more than an episode. Uh, his series just weren't clicking for me, so I didn't really want to watch Midnight Mass when I heard the buzz because everyone was buzzy about uh, Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor too. But I finally started watching it, and then I finished watching it because it was fucking rad. Uh, I really liked Midnight Mass. It was, uh, and this isn't too much of a spoiler, uh, but it's a great new take, I think, on on the vampire myth. That's all I'll say about the plot. Um, But it's well shot. It's well acted. I think it's honestly fairly well paced. I had some misgivings about the pacing at first, but by the end, I think that I decided that it found a fairly steady pace. Um, overall, I think it's it's a well-produced piece of horror, and it, it has some genuinely kind of spooky moments. So as our resident horror expert, I'd totally recommend Midnight Mass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'm right there with you. I also have the same concerns about pacing. Um, but overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked a lot of the characters and how they played with tropes. Um, it didn't go as far as I wanted it to. It, so we uh, we accidentally skipped ahead while watching it. We started like three episodes later than we were. And I was like, how did we get here? And watched about <laughs> five minutes. And I was like, wait a minute. We went back. And then it was a fun journey to see how are they going to get there. And then they did get there. But it didn't go just balls to the wall like I thought it was going to. Right? Mm-hmm. It didn't go like fully extreme. And I thought that that kind of didn't tie things up as nice at the end as I wanted. I thought if they had just gone totally crazy... Um, it would have tied things up better, but that's it. That's the only only little thing that left me just wanting a little more, which I think is, it means it's good. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. No, I like the show a lot. I think uh, it definitely didn't land like Hill House for me. I know that's a little pop horror for Hank. Uh, I think it's very monologue heavy, so if you like that, I think it's a plus. I think uh, it, it breaks realism in a lot of ways that I think are artistically interesting, but not the most uh, kind of realistic. But yeah, I think it's really fun. I, I think it's very clearly made by someone who grew up in that kind of religious community. I think it, it takes great care to not ridicule that group um, and kind of show why people would fall into that kind of religious ideology. So yeah, I think it's you know another swing and a, and a hit for, for Mike Flanagan. I, again, it, for people that are into these kind of movies, Dr. Sleep, his last movie, the sequel to The Shining, is, is really, really good. Ewan McGregor is great in that, so I recommend that. Uh, all right, nice. cool. I think the only other thing that is kind of connected for all of us is do, 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 do. Hank and I both watched Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. Uh, I had to rewatch all of the Paranormal Activity movies for my job, uh, both doing a timeline and a ranking of all the Paranormal Activity movies. There's a lot of shit in this franchise. Uh, Paranormal Activity 7, the new one on Paramount Plus, I thought was actually pretty fun and I liked it a lot. I think there's some pretty good explanation as to why it's found footage horror. I think it doesn't lean too heavily on the plot lines of the other movies, like some entries have. Uh, overall, I thought it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, it's definitely not like a lasting horror movie that's going to be in the best of the 2010s or anything, or 2020s. But, uh, you know, it's it's fun for what it is, and the fact that it's on streaming, you know, it's, it's an easy two-hour watch. Hank, how do you feel about this? I'm not as warm as you are. This one's a stinker. <laughs> this one, whole hog multiple times forgets... <laughs> that it is a found footage movie 
and has like multi-angle cams on conversations where it doesn't make sense. The entire premise of the movie involves a, a crew of people with cameras entering an Amish community, which is a big no-no that they just totally hand wave in like the first five minutes. Like they're like, oh, do the Amish not like this? And the Amish are like, oh, actually, it's fine. Um, which I just don't believe at all. Um, yeah, the acting's pretty bad. Uh, it's fairly incoherent. Like, there is a plot, but, you know, like, come on. You know, it wasn't that hard to do. You're not getting points for just having a through line. Uh, yeah, anyway, I thought it was kind of a stinker. I like the Paranormal Activity series as a whole, um, but uh, the, the real thing that killed this movie for me was just how often it forgot that it was a found footage horror movie. That's a cardinal sin in my book. If you're doing a found footage horror movie, you have to stick to the found footage. You cannot add additional angles in this movie did it to an egregious extent um and uh yeah i mean you know watch it if you like paranormal activity but you know it's it's not going to convince you of anything this it's not a good movie it's just a passable couple hours i'm gonna watch it <laughs> and you know hank sold me on it but it was because when he said they go to an amish place like oh okay yeah yeah i'll see that no, yeah yeah it's fun i taylor I don't know where you fall. Here's the thing. I think both of us, or all, all three of us, have this kind of rule of, like, depends on how much the other two like it. I, I take Hank's criticism with a grain of salt when I go into stuff. So it seems like, you know, my like and, and Hank's very specific dismay are enough to make Taylor not want to watch it, which is great. I, I think it's it's very... I, I think I ranked it four of seven in my list for Collider, and I think that's pretty fair. But Hank... I think you also watched another Paranormal Activity movie. I'm going to send this to you to do the rest of your roundtable because you also had the most developed kind of watch week. So what did you uh, watch and play? Yeah, it's no longer a watch week. It's a watch month. But uh, yeah, anyway, I did watch another Paranormal Activity movie. I watched Paranormal Activity 3, which is chronologically the first film in the series. um, But by release, the third, maybe the fourth. I don't honestly know. Um, anyway, I decided after watching Next of Kin to rewatch the series in chronological order because I do quite like <clears throat> Paranormal Activity. I think it's a really fun series. So I went back. Three was the first one I got in. This is actually <clears throat> my favorite of the series. It takes ba- place back in, I think, the 80s or 90s. The main character is a videographer, so there's a great reason for him to have camera equipment at that time. And, uh, you know, they... They, they put a lot of effort into explaining the found footageness in this one. You know, like, they, they show him setting up cameras. He explains why he's doing it. He shows, like, the mounts he gets to move the cameras. And they never show angles that are completely unexplainable within the context of the found footage, which is the basic ask I have of any found footage horror movie. <laughs> um, so uh, I do quite like Paranormal Activity 3. Plus, the couple that it focuses on are, like, the hottest horror movie couple. You know, they're just a pleasure to watch. Um, the, the man's hot, the woman's hot. So, you know, would recommend Paranormal Activity 3. Um, besides that, I've been watching a whole lot of other stuff this month. I started watching The Witcher. Um, I'm enjoying it pretty well so far. I'm a big fan of the games and books. I've read all the books. I've, I've played all the games multiple times, actually. Um, and I was always a little bit unsure on the television series because I was like, maybe this is the bridge too far. Maybe this is where I no longer like The Witcher, you know, seeing a real man in a white wig. But no, it's, 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 it's been pretty fun to watch so far. You know, it's, it's a little bit, uh, 
you know, it's 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 a little bit, you know, fantasy production-y, you know, like they've it feels a little bit more vanilla than some of the source material does, but it's still pretty good fun. They've got like, you know, some swearing and violence in there to differentiate it from, you know, some of its like Lord of the Rings type uh, counterparts. So I'm enjoying the series so far. I'm, I'm excited to see where they go uh, with the rest of season one and into season two, which is coming out later this month. Um, I also watched the f- the first episode of Brand New Cherry Flavor, uh, which is another horror series like Midnight Mass. It's, a, it's also on Netflix like Midnight Mass. Um, but this one has a very div- different f- uh, feel to it so far than Midnight Mass. It's, it's much more surreal. It's much more uh, kind of cinematic than Midnight Mass, which is, like Keegan said, it's 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 monologue-heavy. It feels almost theatrical. This one doesn't feel theatrical. This one is very much making use of the medium, uh, and I think it does it to great effect. It, it feels almost like a, uh, a David Lynch piece to me with how dreamlike it feels at times. Um, so I'm liking where it's going so far. Uh, the subject matter in Brand New Cherry Flavor is a little bit harder to deal with than Midnight Mass, uh, I think especially for, you know, kind of like a, a modern audience, there, there, there are themes of, you know, like sexual assault and the struggle of poverty. Like it's, it's all a bit heavier, um, mm. but I think it, it's handled well. So it's definitely worth a watch, at least so far. You know, maybe I'll finish the season and be like, ah, oh, there was no payoff at all. But so far, it seems uh, fairly masterful. Uh, besides that, got a new season this month of Forged in Fire, my favorite reality competition show where they bring in four smiths every episode to, to to forge some historical blades it's as good as ever the new season was like 36 episodes i finished it in like a week or something um i am devastated that it's over uh please give me more forged and fire that's all i have to say about that uh, besides that, been watching through Seinfeld. I've seen Seinfeld before, but I love Seinfeld. Like the fo- the whole format of the show works for me. It's like Always Sunny if it was in like the '90s and the people were like a little bit less obnoxious than than the leads in Always Sunny. So I love Seinfeld. I don't need to say too much about Seinfeld. We've all seen Seinfeld. Uh, besides that. I've been watching Too Many Spirits. This is a YouTube series uh, from my favorite YouTube channel, Watcher. Uh, The hosts of BuzzFeed Unsolved uh, are now employees of Watcher and the founders of Watcher. And they've been recording a a series called Too Many Spirits, where they get really drunk in an evening, and they record four episodes in that same evening where they're just reading ghost stories from the internet to each other. And in the first episode, they're not very drunk, in the last episode, they're very, very drunk. And it's really entertaining. Um, it's, it, it's like having like a little campfire with your buddies. It's, it's, it's good, wholesome fun. And uh, if you like listening to ghost stories, uh, you should definitely go on YouTube and look up Too Many Spirits. Or honestly, they have a Patreon. Go check it out. Uh, you can get the, uh, the, the, you can drink along with them. They give you the, uh, the recipes for all the drinks they drink on the show. It's good That's fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, besides that, there was also a new season of those two hosts' uh, other YouTube show, BuzzFeed Unsolved, which they do with BuzzFeed. Um, I watched the whole season. It's as good as ever. You know, it's just kind of two kind of goofy guys investigating fairly well-known supernatural hotspots, and they never find anything, but you always <laughs> knew they weren't going to because, you know, like, it's, you know, no one finds ghosts. Anyway, 
BuzzFeed Unsolved, always good. The latest season is a great send-off. And the last episode is an extra-long episode, uh, which I always appreciate for a series finale. Besides that, I've been watching through Blacklist, uh, which is a show where you can watch Robert California be the concierge of crime. Um, That's all I'll say about Blacklist. I, I, I really think you have to see it to understand the appeal of the show. If I were to describe it to you, you'd be like, isn't that a show my parents watch? It sounds like NCIS or something. Um, There's more appeal to it than an NCIS, at least for me. But anyway, Blacklist is kind of fun. I've also been watching MTV's Teen Wolf. Um, Or actually, maybe it's the CW. It's one of those channels that had a lot of teen shows. But Teen Wolf... It's a modernized take on the, uh, the like, 70s or 80s classic Teen Wolf. Uh, and uh, it's just, you know, a bunch of people claiming to be teens and taking their shirts off and having sweaty fights. <laughs> um, anyway, Teen Wolf, I don't think you can argue that it's a good show, but it's easy watching. <laughs> um, but uh, 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 anyway, besides that, uh, I watched Office Space. It's one of my favorite movies. Every time I watch Office Space, I connect more with the protagonist, which is a terrible feeling. But at least the movie's funny to kind of counteract that. Um, besides that, there's a uh, currently airing or actually it just finished airing season of what we do in the shadows my favorite vampire mockumentary um (laughs) this latest season was fantastic the season ending was a total cliffhanger i want to know what happens next and that's all i'll say because everyone should watch what we do in the shadows there's no one that i care to talk to that i wouldn't recommend it to there are people i wouldn't recommend it to but they're people without taste so you know like if they go watch it and get angry at me that's fine um so anyway everyone should go watch what we do in the shadows it's great the latest season is great but watch it from the beginning because the first season is great too also there's a movie the movie's great uh moving on i saw the end of that season and i was like i need a little bit more of my favorite character laszlo now then his actor is played by a british man named matt barry that back in the early 2000s uh was one of the stars of a tv series called uh, garth Marenghi's dark place it's a it's another horror mockumentary series about a horror author that produced a tv show about a hospital where horrific things happen it's pretty funny um the, the the humor's all all super poor taste so you know like if you're someone that like can't hear something that you disagree with the sentiment behind it you won't enjoy it at all but if you can kind of you know like watch it and you know kind of giggle at something that you don't agree with at all it's good fun uh, but yeah rampant sexism like don't agree with anything the, sh- the, the 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 characters are saying but it's it's kind of entertaining because of how out there it is um school of chocolate is another thing i've been watching it's a new netflix series it's another competition reality show um this is people just making sculptures out of chocolate looks delicious um (laughs) the show's presented by this french dude uh he's some sort of an instagram star i guess he makes like really impressive chocolate stuff he seems like a genuinely nice guy i'd hang out with this dude i don't know his name but uh it's a pretty fun show if you want easy watching that looks delicious watch school of chocolate last two things i've been watching uh, are an anime and an accompanying live action adaptation 
so the anime is called Way of the House Husband. It's a Netflix anime. It's, it's adapted from a, a Japanese manga. Uh, but basically, it follows an ex-Yakuza who is now just a house husband and does it to the best of his ability, and he fucking rocks. He blows every... <laughs> other person out of the water at like household chores and maintaining a household it's incredibly wholesome i really can't describe it that well uh but just go watch it like there's nothing offensive in this uh it's it's just good wholesome entertainment and every episode's like six minutes long it's super short um so it's really good Besides that, there's a live-action ac- adaptation called Ingenuity of the House Husband, where they get the voice actor of the lead character of the anime to perform a bunch of household chores. In this one, there's no Yakuza backstory. He's just a house husband. You never see the wife or anything. Um, but he gives, like, somewhat detailed instructions of how he's doing all of, like, these, like, cleaning... Like, he's giving <laughs> you cleaning tips the whole time, but in, like, a very, like, soothing... Uh, delivery and it's all in Japanese and it's pretty good watching it's very aesthetically pleasing the color composition is great all that good stuff and uh, anyway that's all I've been watching I went on forever but I still have three things I want to run by you which are video games that I haven't been watching but playing first one is Yakuza 5 I am about 20% of the way through it I have spent the last however long of my life on it it's an incredibly long game it's fantastic I'm not going to say too much more about it because everyone knows, if you've been listening to the show for a while, that I have a forthcoming eight-hour episode uh, just <laughs> describing the Yakuza series. Um, besides that, I've also been playing Shin Megami Tensei Five, uh, which is the latest game in the very long-running Shin Megami Tensei series. It's been described as Pokemon for adults. I'm really enjoying it. Um, it's uh, there's a related series called persona that has more recent releases a lot of people really like it I've played a few of the games. I like them well enough. Uh, there's too much high school shit in persona though And <laughs> Shin Megami Tensei doesn't have that so I, I really appreciate that It's just a whole lot of collecting monsters and making them kill other monsters and I can get down with that Your one-line last... descriptions and stuff are, are so good. It's edible <laughs> chocolate sculptures. Looks delicious. It's adults making monsters fight. It's awesome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, the one-liners. Besides that, my last thing I've been playing, though, Baldur's Gate. Classic uh, role-playing game based on AD&D 2nd uh, Edition. Came out in the 90s. I've been playing it on my Nintendo Switch. Who would have thought that a 90s computer game would translate so well to the Nintendo Switch? If you enjoy 2nd Edition Dungeons & Dragons, you should totally check it out. If you don't enjoy 2nd Edition Dungeons & Dragons, this game will make very little sense to you. (laughs) That's what I've been watching. Wow. Hank, it hurts me to hear you say that. Persona 4 Golden is my favorite video game of all time. Actually, I I will say Persona 4 is my favorite (laughs) of the series. It's better than Persona 5. Uh-huh. Yeah. <sighs> all right. All right. All right. All right. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, Taylor, what did you watch uh, or play over the past month? Yeah, not not too much. Um, I kind of got disheartened because I, I finished up some great TV series that I liked. So I'll go over them real quick. Foundation. It's an Isaac Asimov adaptation on Apple TV. Um, they finished the first season and it is it's always been big the whole series is just big there's a lot of exposition a lot of characters a lot of plot um but it's all in space with crazy future technology that you can't even imagine so i i like it and i'm gonna watch the next season i'm, I'm pretty excited about it 
Uh, next, for all mankind, also wrapped up the first season there, or uh, maybe the second. I it just it's all blended together because it's all worked so well for all mankind. They do some time jumps, which you think might be disorienting, but it just totally works. It's like we've just they're acknowledging that space travel takes a long time and there's periods of development where nothing interesting happens and we're just not going to show those but acknowledge <laughs> they exist i think it's great i'm, I'm all about it um the other tv series that i've started that i liked is like hank hank watched the blacklist i've also <clears throat> been watching a boomer tv series and that's succession um it is a, a drama kind of loosely making fun of uh, the murdochs and other powerful media families and crazy characters um and i'm having a good time with it it's 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 pretty fun um it's it's just comparing it to foundation you know sci-fi which i also like a lot it's hard to keep me interested in uh, office drama you know what i mean like boardroom drama that doesn't grab my attention the way like planets being destroyed does you know what i mean so i've had a hard time coming back to it but still like it um, but mostly what I want to talk about are TV shows that I tried to watch and at best finished the first episode. So plenty of these I stopped halfway through. So I'm going to tell you about them so you guys don't make the same mistake. The first one, I think it's on Netflix, it's called The OA. It's about a, a woman that um, has some sort of, uh, well, it's not clear. I only watched two episodes, but there's something about time, something else. But my God, it's so nothing you got this one interesting character everybody else is just a normal character and the interesting character doesn't actually do anything interesting they just once in a while say occasionally interesting things so couldn't get through that don't <laughs> recommend it very well um i think the woman who stars in it also wrote and directed it um and i think if this was you know years and years ago when there wasn't so much variety of stuff to watch i might have given it more time but it just i gotta be grabbing at the first episode honestly i that's that's where we're at today which is weird and i don't know uh next two that i'm not i'm not even going to tell you what these are about the first one's travelers second one is invasion i think the uh, one's on amazon one's on netflix i think they might both be on netflix um they've been well reviewed and they're just make absolutely no sense I think we stopped within the first 30 minutes. Just what is going on? Who are any of these people? Nothing makes sense. It's a fever dream. I don't recommend them. Don't even look it up. And if maybe if it seems really interesting, give travelers and invasion a chance. But wow. Uh, second is The Wheel of Time. Either of you guys give this a shot or had you read the books or anything? Either of you? I had a roommate that read all the books and described the plots in detail to me. Okay. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think... Uh, that's not going to help you. I don't think it matters. I I can't. There, I was reading the promo stuff and Amazon saying this is going to be their Game of Thrones television show, Wheel of Time. I think after five minutes, I was like, there's no way. You've already, everything is so bad after five minutes. We're just not, there's no way you can produce a successful TV show based on what you've already done. So I didn't, I didn't spend any more time than that on it. And maybe, maybe I'm callous. You know, you can write to me if you watched it and think it's a great TV show and I should give it more of a chance. Um, but they must have spent a lot of money on it and that i don't i don't know i guess they got money to spend um and uh the last thing i want to mention tv series i really liked it's on netflix uh, it's in german so that's already going to put some people off but hank might pique your interest it's called dark mm. and it is uh if you, you you've watched it you're nodding along here uh, yeah i've seen it yeah i yeah. I liked it a lot, and uh, I loved it being in German. I thought that added like a whole new, at least for me, someone does not speak German. Maybe Hank didn't have that experience, but 
I was a whole new level of like confusion about what's going on. Like you add in fantasy sci-fi elements having to do with time and other things. It's already going to be disorienting. And then you add this linguistic barrier just makes it more disorienting, but I think in a positive way, you know? So yeah, yeah I, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to come back to it. I've, I've really been enjoying dark on Netflix. All right. There you go. That's, that, that's my uh, month. There we go. All right. This is a full month of watching. It's a lot of television in there, so I feel like the uh, the kind of low title count is because there's a lot of episodes in there. So yeah, cool. All right. So I've watched. Uh, I would say halfway between the two of you guys. I've watched a decent amount, but um, definitely not as much as Hank. So I also watched again uh, Paranormal Activity Seven, which I liked a lot. Uh, <laughs> because I have the final word, I will say. Rotating Reel's final stamp is that it's pretty decent. And then Hank can't <laughs> talk after that. <laughs> I also watched Army of Thieves, which is the prequel to uh, Army of the Dead, which is the Zack Snyder movie that we also reviewed. Uh, this is a prequel directed and starring uh, Dieter, the German guy from the first movie that picks locks. And it also has a, 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 an actress from Fast and Furious. The the I'm forgetting her name, but she also is from Game of Thrones. Uh, it's not very good at all. I actually pitched a piece <laughs> of this at work, and uh, Collider was not interested about the piece that I pitched to them because I don't know if this movie's getting a lot of traction at all. So uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad. I watched Love Hard, a new a uh, romantic comedy holiday movie uh, featuring Jimmy O. Yang, which is fun to see a nerdy Asian comedian getting a lead role in a romantic comedy. It's very weird seeing that, but it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're into these kind of hallmarky movies at all, I thought it was it was heartwarming. It's fun. Um, it's not going to revolutionize anything at all, but you kind of know what you're getting into when you start it up. So I thought that was fun. I thought it was really cute. Um, liked that a lot. <laughs> I watched the documentary The Woman Who Wasn't There. Have you guys heard about this at all? I think I have, yeah. Hank? I haven't, no. <laughs> I won't go into this too much. I think it's only a 70-minute documentary. It's on Prime Video free if you have Prime at all. So I won't go into it too much. But it's essentially about a Spanish woman who fabricated potentially the most elaborate lie about her involvement in 9-11, who claimed that she was in the, I think, East Tower and that she was saved by a fireman, and she was saved by a man in a red bandana. All of it's bullshit. She wasn't there. She never, She wasn't even in New York at the time of the, the terrorist attack. Um, and she spent years working in nonprofits and, and working in support groups, and she gained nothing from it. No financial gain, no fame from it. She just seemingly liked the attention that came with being a 9-11 survivor. It's very upsetting. It's very creepy. Uh, and at like 60, 70 minutes, it's it's a really easy watch. So I won't go too much further into it. Check it out. It's on, on Prime Video. <clears throat> uh, I watched The Forever Purge, which is The Purge 4. It's whatever. Nothing else to say about it. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I watched Eternals, which is the new Marvel movie. Um, I thought it was really good. It's directed by, um, oh my god, who did No Man Land? Uh, Chloe, Chloe Zhao. Zhao. Yeah. Chloe Zhao. It's directed by Chloe Zhao. And it's very much like Nomadland. It's a lot of kind of beautiful landscapes of the American West. Um, it's very pensive. It's very quiet and slow. It's about two hours and 45 minutes. It's very different than most Marvel movies. And in that way, it's almost kind of boring at times, but I think kind of intentionally so. Um, it's, you know, it's not up there with like your Iron Mans or your Hulks as far as kind of like bombastic action. But 
I think there's an interest, interesting story here. Um, it's fun to see an Asian lead with Gemma Chan. I think she's a lot of fun and very promising. So uh, I think once this hits Disney Plus in a couple months, I think it's really going to take off as something that people really like. Um, I think it's not really doing too well theatrically. But um, I think, you know, for, for Marvel movies, given that we've we've done, you know, what, 25 of these with a bunch of series, I think it's it's nice to kind of branch out and get this more kind of auteur heavy stuff so i like Eternals a lot um <clears throat> it's very different and i think it's pretty polarizing but um i think it's definitely worthwhile uh, i watched king richards which is a biopic on venus and serena williams father uh played by will smith i thought it was interesting i think similar to like the argument of ceos i think like you can't have a good athlete without having like a batshit crazy parent behind them like <laughs> I, I i think you you'd never hear these stories of these amazing athletes at the olympics or anything and like oh and they also had a very normal upper middle class <laughs> life that was uneventful like and and this is why because of of king richards <clears throat> he's not a good guy you don't root for him and you often are kind of rooting against him and i think the movie suffers by not choosing a character actor like will smith is just so charismatic that you really want to like him but his actions are, are going against everything you want to like so i think that's kind of a misstep but it's super interesting i think people really know serena williams is the big tennis player but i didn't know this in their youth venus was kind of the more promising star and it details a lot of their like early playing so uh if you have hbo max it's, it's on there free and i would definitely recommend that <clears throat> I also watched Top Gun for the first time, which is like the gayest, most fun movie I've ever watched in my life. It's the <laughs> dopest shit ever. It's just Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer taking their shirts off and flying jets. And I, what else do you want out of a movie? Really? It's, it's the dopest <laughs> shit ever. There, you know, half of the budget was baby oil, and I watched this on a plane, and I regularly had to turn my laptop away from, from other people to hide uh, what I was watching because it just looked like incredibly homoerotic softcore porn but I was there for all of it and I loved the experience so I don't know what the new Top Gun Maverick in 2022 is going to look like but the original fucking rules it's really fun uh, I watched Hawkeye the new Disney Plus series in the MCU it's not that great <laughs> and that's it I have been playing Halo Infinite's multiplayer on my uh, new Xbox really fun this is like i was big in halo 3 dropped off after that if you guys are kind of more og halo fans this is the one man it's free to play if you have a pc check it out i think it's free to play on pc as well man the br feels really good the pistol feels good this is whew, it, it's good halo man halo's back and yes. the last 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 thing is i watched tick tick boom which is for surely going to be Andrew Garfield's submission for Best Actor at the Oscars this year, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's about uh, Jonathan Larson, who wrote and directed Rent. Um, it's really heartbreaking. It's really beautiful, and I'm really proud of Lin-Manuel Miranda for only giving himself two seconds of screen time and not <laughs> completely overruling anything else in the movie. It's beautiful. It's about people around our age who are, you know, in their late 20s and questioning what it's like to either choose the safe corporate life or to go into more creative endeavors. And it's really beautiful. It's really heartbreaking. If you don't know what happened to Jonathan Larson, I won't ruin it for you. But it's really, really just kind of 
poignant movie and I, I found myself crying in multiple times and I think it's it's a really tragic story about kind of everything that happened set against the backdrop of New York during kind of the AIDS epidemic and how a lot of the US government was really victimizing a lot of people with HIV AIDS uh, it's 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 really interesting man so if you have Netflix again tick tick boom it's gonna be a lot of buzz for Oscar season so check that out um, I really loved it and that's kind of it nice all right Man, a month of what we've been watching. That's longer than a week, but uh, I think it's kind of fun. I think it, <laughs> I, you know, I think it was everyone's favorite segment anyway. But now that that's over, I think it's time to move into our review, which used to be the main segment and is now just a segment. But uh, I'm still excited about this one. Uh, after this next bumper, you're going to be listening to the Rotating Reels review of uh, 2021's Pig. Well, if you're listening, folks, you made it to the mainline review. We're reviewing 2021's Pig. I'll give you a little blurb here. This is how IMDb describes it. A truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregonian wilderness must return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she is kidnapped. So I was pretty excited to watch this. Um, it turned into a much deeper movie than I thought it was going to be. I thought we were getting Nicolas Cage. We're getting basically a Taken remix with a pig. Not a daughter this time. He's going to be <clears throat> killing people. It's going to be brutal. That is not what we got. And I think it's okay. I think maybe it's even better because of that. But I'm anxious to hear what my co-hosts think. Keegan, why don't you start us off? What did you think? Non-spoiler about pig. Ooh, non-spoiler. So I think that Nicolas Cage is in an interesting place in his career. I think I've liked some stuff more than others. Will I think it's just interesting that he's trying to give new directors a chance. I think he's been quoted as saying there's more air in the room with a lot of these projects, which I think is probably pretty true. Um, and I didn't really have high expectations for Pig. I thought it looked fairly kind of pretentious and, and uh, kind of plotting for the thing that I'm usually interested in. But I saw that it was on Hulu for free to watch. We needed a thing to watch this this month. Uh, threw it on yesterday, and I was so pleasantly surprised. I'm willing to say this is a, uh, a guaranteed inclusion in my top 10 of 2021. I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's very kind of mournful and bittersweet um, in a way that I think the John Wicks and the Takens of, of these kind of movies that focus on actors and re you know giving them a new kind of mid late career exploration of life um these other movies don't really do as well i think it, it has some really really great kind of ponderings on what it is to love things and and make the most of your life with the time that we have so i was you know brought to tears multiple times i really enjoyed this movie and uh i think it's my favorite of the uh modern nick cage movies but um i think we'll get into that more with spoilers awesome awesome hank yeah what'd you think yeah, you know, I uh, I was obviously excited going into this. You know, Nicolas Cage is going through, like, his, like, horror phase. He's doing all these, like, indie kind of auteur horror films. And so, you know, I, I saw Pig, and I'm like, okay, more, like, indie artistic horror starring Nicolas Cage being a madman. And, uh, you know, it might not be great. It might just be indulgent, but it'll be indulgent for, like, a true horror fan. That was what I was expecting going in. And obviously, I think as, as Keegan's hinted at, it's very different from that. It's not just like this indulgent out there horror movie. Um, but I think this is kind of the the movie that uh, I've always felt like Nicolas Cage could make. You know, I, I think that this really plays to his best strengths as an actor. You know, he 
he uh for all his uh, eccentricities he he is able to evoke something in, in the viewer you know like even in the movies where he's just like making silly faces like he really kind of you know jolts you out of your seat there and in this movie i think he does a really good job of of, of kind of evoking what his character's feeling uh about, about his pig um which is not really something i'd ever thought i'd be saying in a in a movie review um, yeah so anyway yeah you know nick cage totally made me feel uh it's 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 kind of in the trend of his 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 more recent movies where it's kind of like this like high art horror look um at at like what nick cage can do as an actor but it's also very much its own thing it's not just another mandy color out of space um I think it really stands on its own apart from them. And I think it, it honestly, uh, for the general audience, might stand ahead above. I still love the color out of space uh, more than anything, but I love the source material there. This I didn't have anything going into. Um, and so I think for you know more of a general audience that doesn't have anything going into the, these new Nick Cage movies, this movie could actually have a lot. Like even if you've you know seen Mandy and you're like, I'm not sure I care for this Nick Cage branded, you know, like kind of heavier horror film i think you're going to like pig i i i honestly don't even know if horror is is the right thing to say here it just feels right because his his more recent output has been horror this movie i, I don't even really think i'd classify as a horror film it's it's almost more of a drama um yeah but i think it really showcases his range uh, i think it's it's pretty cool stuff yeah yeah i think i'm right there with you i think horror doesn't apply at all i think it's basically a drama and i think that it, you know the expectations that I had like I said of this taken Liam Neeson type thing I, I still missed not having that but to see Nicolas Cage a role that was I don't know if it was built for him or if he was allowed to change it right because it is a lower budget thing and he's by far the biggest name going on with it um, the dialogue I thought suited him perfectly this very curt style of speaking where every single word because there's so few of them is really important it's this laconic style of dialogue that i think just works perfectly for him for his face for this kind of broodingness that he has um so yeah i i liked it a lot it was not at all what i was expecting basically so any other non-spoilery comments you guys want to have you think people should go see it sounds like things like we're pretty pretty warm on the movie i mean don't go see it see it in your home like, like, I think you could go see it, but I think this is actually one of those few movies where the viewing experience at home is the right one. You know, mm -hmm. just get with, like, a TV you know and you're comfortable with. Throw on Hulu. Ideally ad-free, but no one should pay for that. So, you know, do what you need to do. But, uh... Ugh. Anyway, you know, like, watch it with ads if that's what you need to do. But, you know, put it on TV you know. Grab a comfy blanket and just immerse yourself in, in Pig. Yeah. <laughs> Keegan, any last non-spoiler thoughts before we get into uh, get into the meat? <laughs> no uh, puns aside. I think uh, you know it's just really nice to see something that's in the Northwest that's not in Seattle. So uh, very uh, of the the populist idea of pro Portland, anti Seattle. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that was the one weak point of the movie had for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well let's let's get into the spoilers. Um, so the kind of the first thing I want to say spoilery um was there were some elements of this movie that i felt were purposefully not realistic and sort of like a, a wes anderson sense right so talking about the fight scene in the, in the basements um and 
that seemed more in line with the expectation I had for the movie of this totally ridiculous taken kind of movie, right? A lot of action. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I felt the bulk of the movie was a really interesting exploration, both of this chef um, and of people that work in food service in general and emotions around it and everything else. But then it kept having these like over over realistic. This, no, this is not what happens. Kind of kind of scenes put in there. Did that work for you guys, or did you felt that it all flowed nice and somehow sort of like Wes Anderson, it all kind of comes together and you don't mind it? I I don't know if this is, was intentional, uh, but for me at least, kind of the contrast of those kind of you know fight sceney moments that were in line with what you might expect from a Nick Cage. The contrast of those to the more you know, dramatic and less stereotypically Nick Cage moments. Um, I thought it was interesting because, you know, you definitely got a little bit of what you were expecting, but it was also very clear that the movie wasn't about that. Mm-hmm. Unlike a, uh, what, what was the one where he was in like the, the Chuck E. Cheese's where it was just all stereotypical. Neat- Willie's Wonderland. Willie's, yeah. Unlike, unlike you know, Willie's Wonder- Wonderland prisoners in the ghost land the, these sorts of movies where it's just all you know nick cage randomness it's very much a side note in here and they're like yeah we still got that <laughs> that's not what it's about and i thought that that was almost kind of cool they're like yeah we can do that we're not not doing that because it's out of the budget or it's you know or it's something we're not capable of doing we can do that but this that's not the key element of the story i thought it was also cool for the character because you know it kind of shows like he can do that, but that's not really the struggle he's going through here. Mm. Um, so it worked for me, but I, I would say, you know, to a general audience, you know, like maybe, a, you know, if you don't go in with kind of the Nick Cage mythology already, yeah. it might not land as well. Mm. Interesting. Keegan, your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. On one hand, it's kind of like you, you watch these, like The Sopranos and kind of like, uh, organized crime movies and you think like oh this is so interesting it's kind of doing an exploration of, of what those lives are like uh, because I have no idea and you think like you know maybe this is an accurate representation I'm sure people did their homework I worked in restaurants for a long time in college and high school I don't think this is very accurate I live in Portland now I cannot for the life of me believe that the people that are serving me food are also doing nightclub fights um, but I don't know I, I think it's not a world that I'm like actively a part of but I think the surrealism is is interesting, uh, but it's definitely not my favorite part of it. I think I like kind of the more grounded explorations of like the the trauma and the the sadness that people carry with them, as opposed to the more kind of fantastical elements. Not that I thought they detracted it in any way, um, but I think they were not kind of the highlight for me. Yeah, yeah. What what was the highlight? Do you think what was the high high point of the movie in terms of everything the movie was trying to? <clears throat> So honestly, I think the highlight, and it's on IMDb as well, I think the highlight is just the the one monologue that he has when he's talking to the guy that he used to employ, um, who now has this new restaurant that's very fancy, and he has new wines, and he has kind of new truffle items coming in winter, and he just kind of says like, hey, you know, I fired you, you overcooked the pasta, you know, it's great that you opened this new fancy restaurant, but why did you not open the Irish pub that you were going to do? Because you always said that's what you were passionate about. And, you know, in a way, Nick, Nick Cage's Robin character is disappointed that he didn't follow in his passions. And he just says, I think, kind of the line that is the subtext of the whole movie and says, we don't get a lot of things to really care about in this life. And, you know, obviously he's working through his own traumas. And I think just this idea that there are, are so few things that we get an opportunity to, opportunity in this life to really love and care about and feel passionate about. And it's, 
you know, whether it's it's cooking or it's a loved one, I think there's so few things that we get to put ourselves into wholeheartedly um, that when you're a little bit older and advanced in age in a way that Nick Cage is, you look back on really fondly. And I think it's it's kind of a, a really beautiful sentiment that's in a way very bittersweet because, you know, we're in spoilers, but his wife has passed away for a couple years now and that's why he lives in solitude. But um, it, it was just very beautiful to me and very kind of <laughs> mournful and, and kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is the main thrust of the movie is ultimately mournful and sad. <laughs> so what, what were the other big yeah. spoilery things you guys wanted to touch on any plot elements characters yeah uh, a couple things i so i um first of all i really really on a casting note i think we talked about this pre-show but i think one of the things you had brought up is that i think you're of the mind that this movie is very different if it doesn't have nick cage in the lead think that is a fair argument but i also think that it kind of discredits a lot of like very like non-character actor heavy roles right like what is what is end of the dragon without bruce lee like this movie doesn't exist without nick cage and i don't think that's a detriment i think this is kind of the movie that's the perfect puzzle piece fit for him um and i also think alex wolf who plays uh, the 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 young kid that is transporting him around for also a lot of jumanji is really well casted as well i know for people that you know <laughs> like hank we probably know him from hereditary he's really really great in that and i think this is just another thing that Sorry, <laughs> Jumanji is out. Can I forget the the great Kevin Hart masterpiece? But I think it's really well casted. I think it's really well acted. It's just really impressive on a technical level that this is a, a directorial debut for um, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting the guy's name, but this is this is his first movie he's, he's ever made, and I think that you know casting, script, a lot of this stuff is just really tight for a, a freshman effort. Michael Sarnowski is his name. Sarnowski. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I. I still don't think I, th- I think the fact that the the movie doesn't stand up as well without Nicolas Cage I think it I think it is a detriment to it I think that you know there, there's plenty of character actors I would think that could do the kind of stoic laconic kind of beat down chef thing um, and having known some old chefs it's it's definitely a trope in a lot of ways um, so I, I think it I think with some tweaks it could have been like I think if you remove the Gonzo Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. the underground fight scenes yeah, and stuff I, I, I think know I feel like that role. was but I think for exactly you know, going what they back got what I'm saying screen, about the fight scenes only, kind of like offsetting the, the off core of drama combo. of it all you know like I, I feel like that was the vision they wanted and so like if you say you know you could take it away and make it more accessible to another actor it's like yeah sure but then it would just be a drama film you know like it would, it would just you know and that that'd be fine I, i'm sure it'd be a, a fine movie but it wouldn't be pig you know yeah not the story they want yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. nicholas cage's pig yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I, but it is interesting to see him do roles like this. And I think it's great, like you said, that he's giving a, someone that has not directed something before 
directing, writing. He's like, yeah, okay, sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's working. Whatever you want to say about Nicolas Cage, he is working. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He doesn't appear to be you know, I, I just want, selling out I just want to in the jump way that in I think here and you, just say, I think it is so beautiful what Nick Cage is doing, as much which is he, seems he to takes be trying to films do interesting kind of stuff, seemingly so. re- regardless I mean, of budget, to, but just kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I feel like I could do that. You know, like he's hopping into like Colorado Space, Willy's Wonderland, Prisoners, and the Ghostland. You know, these are, some of them are international. There are varying size budgets. The roles are all kind of similar, but there's no, the, you know, the, these aren't just you know, roles that were brought to him by someone that's like, here's a movie we can shove you into. You know, they, they, they all seem like pretty particular roles that he's picked the movies. They're all of a particular caliber. You know, maybe it's all his agent doing it, but whatever's happening mm-hmm. there is beautiful. Like, I just, it, it, it's, I, I love to see an actor going to get that money, but I also really love to see an actor just going out and doing a bunch of really mm-hmm. cool movies when they could just be doing, you know, a bunch of movies. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I, I think he's kind of getting the best of both worlds here, and I'm glad for him. Yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. Well, so Taylor, I guess you're the one that brought it up. Do you think, I mean, do you think it would be preferable if the role was taken by someone that's, you know, kind of more uh, character actor, kind of more of a, a quiet, kind of understated actor? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I mean, I think the story should stand on its own. You know, I, I like, I have always had an aversion to actors that create sort of what Nicolas Cage has done. Like I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying these movies. I'm enjoying the Nicolas Cage experience, but I've always been kind of adverse to it. I was like, well, I don't agree. I think the story's got to be the most important thing. I don't think, I I I just have to jump in and, you know, not to jump down your throat. You know, I think there is a place for that or the story can be the main thing you're selling, but I think it's absolutely (laughs) acceptable if, you know, the artist behind the film, the filmmaker, the writer, the director, doesn't want to go that route and they say you know like we have something we know there's you know like one type of guy or one guy that it'll work with and that's our vision you know i think that uh i think that there's a place for that and i I think that the aversion to it might be because there's kind of like you know some amount of pretentious filmmakers that are like my work stands on its own and they've been kind of lauded for 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 a long time but i think that they're carving a new these people that are creating these nicholas cage roles are kind of carving a new niche in the cinema landscape and i think that's really cool i don't think there's anything i don't think there's anything that sets them below people that make stories that just stand on their own Yeah. Well, I mean, of of course, of course, I think they should be allowed to do whatever kind of art they want, whether I like it or not. Um, and, and like I said, I have been enjoying these Nick Cage movies and I've been enjoying the sort of Nick Cage experience. But if I'm talking about just the movie and story itself, independent of all that stuff, right? Because you're talking about sort of a, a, a meta thing in a way, right? And and I I don't know I I tend to like the stories that I think can stand on their own that I could see being played different ways and still being interesting. Whereas this one seems like there is just one way you know, to play this character, it, and it is a Nicolas it, Cage way, enough. and it works. I just, but I think I'm that of the opinion feels, that it's kind of I don't know, feels like that means the you know, story kind of is limited meta in art some way. form in, in the in the film space. You know, I think it's something that's kind of a modern possibility that you know we're able to to, to have 
in the modern world where you know anyone can go watch any of Nicolas Cage's movies anytime yeah. this wasn't an option you know 50 60 years ago I think this is kind of a modern phenomenon and I think it's kind of cool um but I I you know I I will give you you know you know you're totally welcome to the opinion that like the, the plot may not stand yeah. as well on its own to you I just wanted to offer the the counterpoint that it's yeah 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, Nicolas Cage always raises opinions. There, you, you can't meet anybody that doesn't. It's like Nicolas Cage. No, I'm pretty neutral on him. You know, it doesn't happen. People have opinions about what's going on with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, the guy who's in National Treasure and is on his what fifth Japanese wife? Oh, I don't feel any particular way. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing stands out about him or his behavior. No. I another thing I really like about this movie, um, and I think you know. I'm pretty biased and then I think it kind of aligns with my own personal opinion is that I think it's this approach to to food and to culinary arts that is it, it kind of dismantles the pretentious approach I think like Nicolas Cage's character is always like you you know you should have followed your heart and you should have opened the Irish pub if you were going to do I, I don't know what it was it was like poached eggs or poached hen or whatever he wanted to make it's it's not a pretentious dish and he kind of scoffs at the idea of like you know nice wine and uh, a smoked dish that that comes out with the the final product and i you know as someone who i think eats a lot of food that i wouldn't call hole in the wall but a lot of stuff that's you know vietnamese people it's like you don't always want the most flashy high-end stuff like a lot of the food that you mm. eat I always joke you know if, if you go to an asian restaurant and it has an a rating maybe it's not the best food you want a little bit of dinginess <laughs> you want a little bit of kind of local flair right like that kind of authenticity and i think this movie has a similar approach to food in that like it's a it's a passionate thing yes but it's also a very personal and cultural thing um and that you know fine dining isn't necessarily the best kind of dining and you should kind of have the freedom to explore i thought was a really kind of refreshing take that you don't often see in a lot of kind of dining or, or culinary movies yeah no this definitely that was a great representation of like this like new hoity-toity food this like small plate thing where they all want local ingredients and everything and everybody that works there doesn't make enough money and it's really mad all the time yeah, it made you feel kind of there smoke. to an this, extent i thought this was like, a great Ooh. representation of feel that you, world buddy. i was yeah. like yeah, I, I i know who yeah. these people are yeah. <laughs> yeah i get i get all these characters <laughs> i'm ready to, to, to rate it all right, so any any kind of final closing thoughts in the spoiler, non-spoiler realm about Pig? All right. So Pig was not really what I was expecting right, going in. I was expecting something Keegan, you honestly a lot hey, schlockier what's your final than thoughts Pig. On and Pig? I, was, I was ready to enjoy the schlock. Um, but I didn't get nearly as much schlock as I expected. I got, honestly, a lot more of a thoughtful, dramatic piece than I expected. And oftentimes I don't like that, but I think this movie kind of hit a sweet spot where it was able to actually kind of evoke something from me with that drama. Sometimes I feel like drama is drama for drama's sake, and it does nothing for me. All that is to say, I really enjoyed Pig. It's much more dramatic than most of Nick Cage's movies, especially in recent years, have tended to be. But I mm. think that's all the better. I think that this is, you know, a movie that this actor in particular has been kind of waiting to make. This is kind of something that, that bridges the gap between his usual fare and something that's a little bit elevated. 
um, to put it in culinary terms. Uh, so with that, I'm going to give it my rating. I think I'm going to give it 10 out of 11 magnificent truffle hunter beard hairs <laughs> because I really liked his beard in this one. <laughs> awesome awesome okay keegan final thoughts rating Ooh, final thoughts i really like this movie i think i might even be the warmest on it i think i love this movie and it's probably going to be squarely in the middle of my top 10 movies of the year uh if i had to rate it i would give it 850 dollars out of a thousand dollar credit card limit on master classes <laughs> spent on classical music <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. Very very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I'm I think I'm there with you guys. I, I enjoyed the movie. Um I thought some of the dialogue from Nicolas Cage was tremendous. Um I thought it was definitely an interesting shift for him and one that I'm totally totally fine with. Um part of me wanted this movie to be Nicolas Cage does taken about a pig. I just wanted that. I wanted to see him. Like, when they, when those people came and beat him up and took his pig, I was saying to myself, well, they've just killed themselves. That's what's happened. This guy, you, you don't want to mess with this guy. He lives in the woods. But instead, he didn't, he didn't hurt him physically. He messed with their hearts. You know what I mean? He talked to people about what they were really about. And I was like, wow, he can, he can destroy you on so many levels. So my final rating for this movie, I'm going to give it 8 point five out of eleven misunderstood tsunamis. There's a whole description of how of what the big tsunami's gonna do. It's not 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 what's gonna happen. Don't worry. He he's a great chef but doesn't know anything about I tsunamis, thought that was new. So. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, one more thing I forgot to say. Is tweaket is that a word? I thought is was that new to this movie? You need I thought more that was comedy hilarious. in your life. But I do agree it's funny. Yeah I thought it was <laughs> okay. Tweaket's great. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Awesome, guys. <laughs> so, guys, there's... I guess it's kind of open-ended. So next month, we don't know who our guest is going to be. We know for sure there will be a news and what we've been watching segment. You know, we're home for the holidays. We'll probably watch a bunch of stupid shit with family. But for our mainline review, there's a couple options. We could do Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which is already getting great buzz. Obviously, the Matrix the 4. Matrix movie. Like, do you Matrix need to 4, ask? That's like... my vote. The new Spider-Man movie. Is there anything else? <laughs> just kidding. I think it's just those three. Do we have a preference of... It's the Matrix no. 4. We'll see you in a month for the Matrix 4. <laughs> That's what and we're doing. We will see you and in a month for a review of West Side Story, folks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do Matrix 4. All right. The Reelys out. All right. <laughs>